we are have two weeks left in Philippians. We're going to finish it up. Kind of sad about that. We're in Philippians chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, and uh, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 4. A little bit sad about it. Philippians has been, <laughs> Philippians has been very good to me. Uh, I have enjoyed this study an awful lot. There's so much that, uh, you know, you've read it, 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 and this time you read it, and, and it comes to life. Uh, in chapter 2, when it talks about, <clears throat> Paul talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that would mean an awful lot to me because it's, y'all remember when we talked about that, that means that you know you can't do it. You know you can't do it. You know that you don't have it in you to do it right, to do everything that needs to be done, but at the same time, at the same time, you're going to do it anyway. You're going to try as hard as you can. You're going to do the best you can because you know that he is the one that wills and works in you, that he's the one that is the energy. You remember us talking about that? He's the one that's, that gives you the energy to choose and then the energy to do. So he is going to be the one that empowers us to do all this. It's good stuff. Contentment, y'all remember that, uh, what was it we said? That comparison is the enemy of contentment. If, if you don't catch anything else in the world, take that one home with you. Because that one, I mean, it's when you look at your neighbor's new car right after you bought a new car and you start comparing the two, you can make yourself miserable. I had good friends that got in a fight over that one time. They bought the same identical car, but one of them had a few more bells and whistles on it. So they're comparing and they got all upset and decided whose car is the best. And I'm going, what does it matter with you people? It's a stupid automobile. In a couple of years, it won't be worth anything. You'll throw it away. Why are you losing a friendship over this? Comparison is the enemy of, of contentment. So in chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, a uh, couple of things to say real quick before we read them is that I could preach four sermons off of this. Uh, I have preached sermons out of different parts because it, it, there's got four natural divisions in this. But as you read through it, I won't take four sermon lengths to do this, but as you, as you read through this, you find out there's a single theme one common theme that just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And that theme is to have contentment, you've got to control your thinking. Now that sounds like, to have contentment, you've got to control your thinking. Paul tells us, that's the main thrust through this whole section, control what's in your mind, control your thinking. All right, so Philippians Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So, so then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, 
Dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4.1 says, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You can tell from the tone that the book's coming to an end. He's wrapping it up. He's, he's, he's closing it out. And you can tell that Paul is missing them very, very desperately, that he loves these people an awful lot. He's in prison. He knows his situation is dire. He hopes and plans to see him again soon. But I have a feeling that in the back of his mind, he knows that, this, that, that I'm not, that this is pretty much going to be it. This is over. What he's got standing in front of him is going to be too big for him to, to survive. He says, I love you. I long for you. You are my joy and my crown. You can hear his godly pride. There's nothing wrong with the way he feels there. It's the feeling that he has for them. It's like the feeling I had for us last week. Obviously, you were doing who's your one. This place was, was full of people. We had 708 people. We usually run lately between 300 and 350, so we doubled in size. That's cool. That's very, very cool. A lot of people did a lot of good work. Very proud of that. That's, that's a good thing that we held together and did our thing. He looks, I believe his, his joy is even bigger than that because he goes, I started this church when I met Lydia. We got started and then this place just exploded and we got all these people that are coming and we are, we're preaching and we're teaching and we've got leadership and we've got fellowship. All of this stuff is, is happening. This is good. I am so proud of y'all. I am so proud of y'all. So when he says that, he says, in this manner, Stand firm. In this manner, almost means therefore, you have to look back. And this is what he's telling them to stand firm in. This is what we need to hear to stand firm in. Y'all, I know we've heard these things. I know we've heard it before. But this, this is the crux of it. This is what matters. This is what can, can change you from a worrier. It can change you in a million different ways into a contented person, a person that has peace that passes all understanding. Going back to verse 17 in chapter 3, he says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, they're focused on earthly things. But now here, listen to this. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Do y'all remember what we talked about last week? We said everybody's going to suffer. Everybody's going to suffer. We know that. Suffering is the one thing that we all have in common. And the thing that gets us through suffering, we said, was a single-eyed focus on the goal. Single-eyed focus on the goal. That's what Paul's saying right here. See, I think we've done a disservice in the church. We've gone from way back yonder where all you heard was heaven and hell all the time. That's what was preached back when I was a kid. You know, hellfire damnation preaching, got to go to heaven, and, and that's the way we did it. 
And then we sort of transitioned, and we transitioned into this, this uh, everything's practical, talking about how to live your life every day, what to do every day, how to make it every day, how to raise your kids, how to live with your spouse, and all this practical stuff. And we lost sight of heaven. But heaven's the goal. Do you understand? Heaven is where we're going. It is the goal. It is the whole purpose of us being here is to be there with him. He created us and gave us a way to get there. We, we eagerly wait a savior from heaven who is going to transform us from what we are into what he is, a body like his. This is, that's, that's the point. That's where we're going. That's the end. If you're a goal-oriented person, put that in as your primary goal is I want to attain that one day. This is where I want to go. Now, the most important question, one of the most important questions I'm going to ask you this morning is right here. Do you truly believe that? Do you truly believe that? And I don't mean, I don't, I don't mean that it's simply an academics test. If I ask you questions, you could give me the right answers. That's not what I mean. I mean from the bottom of your heart. From the bottom of your heart, do you believe that you will one day meet Jesus face to face and that he will change you? Do you believe that? Do you believe, do you believe that God is good and that he has a plan for your life, that his plan will end up for his glory and for your good? Do you believe that? Listen, if you believe that, 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 is, that is critical, that's foundational. If you understand that God is good, that he's got a plan for your life, he's working the plan, that plan is for his glory and for your good, you can endure just about anything at that point because you understand that God is good, that nothing is happening to you that's capricious and arbitrary, that he is, he is in charge. And if he's in charge and he's good, we're going to be okay. You've got to understand that. We've got to come to that understanding. This is Paul laying this groundwork in this manner. Stand firm. Understanding that this is who God is, that we're waiting on him, that he is going to take us. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is somewhere else. He is going to change us. With, in this manner, because of this, stand firm with that conviction in place. Stand firm and you'll have peace. Verses two through five says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. This is embarrassing. You gotta, you gotta get into the story. You gotta put yourself into their place. This is embarrassing. So here we go. Epaphroditus, y'all remember us talking about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus goes to Paul. He gets sick. They think he's gonna die. The people back home hear about it. They're all worried about Epaphroditus. He finally gets well. He's with Paul. Paul says, I'd love to have you stay with me, Epaphroditus. You'd be a big help to me, but you'd be better help if you'd go back to them and make them feel better. They'd be so happy to see you again. I'm going to write a letter to send with you. 
So he writes this letter to send with him. Epaphroditus gets home. Everybody, oh, Epaphroditus, we're so glad to see you. Probably had a potluck dinner. Somebody called out and got chicken. It was a great day at church. And, and they give the letter to the elder pastor. And the elder pastor read the letter aloud to the congregation. Y'all see where we're going here? The pastor stands up in front of everybody and he's reading all of this about how to have joy and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And people understand that comparison is the enemy of contentment. And he goes to all of that. And then he gets to this, this verse right here, chapter 4, verse 2, and you see the pastor stop. Because Paul is calling these two women out in front of everybody. He's calling these, I don't mean nothing to you. What if I said this morning, what if I said this morning, I urge Randy and I urge Clint to get along with one another. Because see, they've been squabbling in the church and it's affecting all of us. And I need all of y'all to get together with those two and help them understand what we're here for. Now here's the deal. They read this letter over and over again. So next week, we read the letter again. I stand up in front of everybody again and say, and I urge Randy, and I urge Clint to get along with each other. Six months from now, I read the letter from Paul. I urge Randy, I urge Clint. Well, Randy and Clint, if they're like I am, see, once I've been embarrassed, I like for it to go away. Don't y'all? I mean, once you do something, and we all done it. We've all done something really, really embarrassing, and, and, and we do it, and we want it to go away. But, you know, you'll come back to me later, and you'll remind me of that embarrassing thing, and I'll be smiling, going, yeah, <laughs> that was so funny. And the whole time I'm thinking in my head is, you need to go away. I don't want to relive this again. Stop it. Every time this letter was read, these two letters, I can imagine they wanted to crawl into the pews. I imagine they got so mad at Epaphroditus. What did you tell Paul about us? Why is he writing about us in this letter? And every time it's been read for the last 2,000 years, these two sisters have been called out. Whew, that would be awful. Paul tells us four things that need to happen here to get these two sisters back together again. He says, first, they worked by my side and they agree in the Lord. Ladies, y'all need to recognize you're on the same team and that you belong to the same Lord. And see, the issue here is not the truth. It's not that they're teaching incorrect doctrine because if they did that, he would be on them. He'd be on them in a skinny minute. He would be saying that, but he didn't say that. What these two ladies are arguing about is, is they've been doing church and church has been going good and the fellowship's great, but the building's starting to look a little ragged and, and, and Syntyche wants to paint it blue and Uodia wants to paint it, paint it green. Y'all think that's ridiculous, right? Oh, they haven't. I've told you about the first church fight that I was ever involved in as a pastor. They wanted to paint the doors white. New doors, had to get new doors on the church. Church was 1,000 years old. Doors would blow open in the winter. Had to get new doors. One group wanted to paint them white. The other, one, the other group wanted to stain them brown. Does not sound like a big deal. That's the first time I ever got chewed out in a church by a church member in front of everybody because they just kept arguing about this thing. And so I called for a vote. 
I knew who was going to lose. The white team really had the big votes, so just call for a vote, get this thing over with, and we'll move on. And so I called for a vote. And after it was over, the brown team stood me in the middle of the sanctuary as we were going out and helped me to understand that I was everything but a child of God. Because of paint. Because of paint. Let me tell you something. Those doors are still white and they're all still dead. They, they were elderly then. They've gone on to their glory. What difference does a painted door make? Euodia and Syntyche are arguing about something that doesn't matter. Paul is saying, ladies, remember who you are and you act like it. Secondly, he says, true partner and Clement, everybody else, you gather around these two ladies and you restore their fellowship. Now, I want to read something that Francis Chan and Tony Morita wrote. He said, if you as a believer, listen, listen, if you as a believer are acting wrongfully, or your brother or sister is acting wrongfully, you shouldn't think that it's none of anybody else's business. It is the church's business because you're a part of the body and your sin affects the whole body. Now see, we've been nice about this stuff for so long that we just sit back and let little factions and people squabble and fight and all this kind of stuff. And, and we'll say little things like, well, that's just the way they are, you know. We just have to put up with them. Paul would be calling your name out loud. He'd be in the church calling your name out and saying, okay, everybody get around these folks and fix them. They don't realize that they're working for Jesus. They think they're working for something else. Third, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. You might think, well, that doesn't really fit. I think it does. He's reminding them here that whatever it is that you're arguing about, you won't be happy when you get it. Have you ever noticed that? You get into a fight and then you win and you walk away and it's just like, okay, well, what? You're not really happy when it's over. You didn't get anything. We've watched churches that had big church fights and the church splits and everybody's unhappy. That's what he said. No, 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 no. Rejoice in the Lord. Get your head together. Contentment is only found in following Jesus. And fourthly, he says, let your graciousness be known to everybody. Or you could say it like this. For too long, we've been known for what we are against. We want to be known for what we are for. We want to be gracious. We want to be kind. These ladies were being contentious. I'm telling you, you want to see a fight? Get a couple of people that are really strong feeling about whether the blinds should be wide blinds, wide blinds or mini blinds. You can see hair flying, clothes being pulled off. This is a big deal. He's saying, no, no, contention doesn't reflect the gospel. You get contention, <clears throat> you get contention everywhere you go. In the church is the one place that people are coming to find contentment. Have you ever heard of folks that will leave a smaller church and go to a bigger church. And when you ask them why, they say they go to it because they want to disappear. They don't want to be involved anymore. That they've had enough of the back scenes of what goes on in a church. They don't want to be a part of it. They just want to go somewhere where they can hear the music and sing and, and, and hear the preaching and be peaceful and go home. This avoids that. Contentment is only found in Christ. Keep your head in the right place. You've got to have your mind in the right place. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is not giving, we know this, we know this. Paul is not giving us an abracadabra here for us to no longer have anxiety and worry. What Paul is doing before, before we do what Paul is saying here, the first thing that we have to do, we have to understand, have our heart and our mind right and trust that the Father is good, that he has a plan, that his plan is for his glory and for your good. If we don't understand that to start with, worry and anxiety has no place to go. It's going to stay home. It's going to reside with you. If we don't trust, then this won't work. We have to trust. So if trust is an issue, if you're not truly sure that God is good or that God is good for you, first thing you need to do is you need to tell him about it. You need to open up to him and tell him about it and, and let him prove to you. Logan was talking about secret church. We, we started in Genesis. We went all the way through the book of Revelation looking at prayer. The theme that came, kept coming out at me over and over and over again was God coming to people saying, I want to help you. I want to lead you. I want you to be content. I want you to have happiness. I want you to see me. I want you to know me. I want you to understand that you're going to be with me forever. I want to help you. Let me do it. I want to join you and I want you to join me in prayer so you can see me doing these things. You heard it over and over and over again. Go to him and tell him, I'm not sure. I understand that you're good for everybody else. I'm not really sure you're good for me. Confess, confess that to him and let him prove to you that he is who he says he is and that he cares so very deeply for you. If you get a chance, like Logan was talking about, it takes some time. I mean, it takes lots, lots of time, but you can, you can get the book that we had, get the answer key. Uh, if enough people want to do it, we can even replay it through the end of the month, I think. Um, no, through the end of May, I think it is. Through the end of May, we could replay it and you could see it. Uh, it's, it's, un, it's unreal because that's what you hear. Over and over again, God's saying, let me be a part of your life. Let me be a part of your life. All right, he says, don't worry about anything. Now, let's define worry right quick. Let's define worry because there's a worry that's bad and there's a concern that's okay, all right? The first one, you got a child, straight-A student, never in trouble, always respectful. All of a sudden, their grades slip. They become somebody you don't know. That's not worry. That's alarm. And that's good. That's okay. You're, not, you're hearing a voice inside of you that says you need to do something. You need to be the parent. You need to step in, get to the bottom of this. Something's going on out there. You need to fix that. That is not worry. That is alarm. That's okay. Figure out what the problem is and fix it. But if you're the parent that goes, your student is a straight-A student, never gets in trouble, is always respectful, but you sit at home thinking, well, you know, they're doing great now, but, you know, middle school is going to be tough. You know how middle school is. And they get in middle school and they're still doing good. And you go, you know, middle schools, they're, they're doing real good right now. But, you know, they're going to go to high school next year. And high school's tough. And you know what happens in high school? And then they get into high school and they're doing real good. And you say, well, you know, that's all great and wonderful. They're doing good in high school. But, you know, when they go to college, you know how college is. 
And then they do great in high school and they get into college and they're doing good in college and you sit there at home going, well, you know, something's going to happen because our family always has the worst luck. You just know something bad's going to happen. It's always, you know, Eeyore. Eeyore. You're sitting there, skies are blue and clear except right over your head. There's this dark cloud that's always raining because in your world, it'll always be bad. It'll always be horrible. We're all going to die. That's worry. That's worry. Here's a quote. If you're not taking notes, you might want to write this one down. It's a good one. Worry is imagining the future in a terrible way. Worry is imagining the future in a terrible way. Paul says don't do that. And he says don't do it with anything. And anything, I was... Uh, uh, David Platt did this the other night and it made me so happy because it's something that I've done before and it's nice to see somebody that's somebody doing something that you've done and lets you know that every now and then you do something right and he said the word, he said, do you know what the word everything means? And everybody said, means everything. I've done that, right? Isn't that cool? Well, here Paul uses the word anything and that word really actually encompasses anything but it, it's wider than just things. It includes people. And what Paul is saying here is he said, I, don't let anybody or anything, don't let anybody or anything cause you worry. Don't worry about anybody or anything. Now, it's easy enough to say. How does he say do it? First, he says, you pray and petition God. And, and I think the prayer, especially after listening to Secret Church, I think the prayer kind of ought to run like this. The first thing you do is affirm what you know is true. Father, I know that you're good. I know that you have a plan for my life. I know that your plan is going to work for your glory and for my good. But Father, I love my son, daughter, husband, wife. I'm afraid we've got this situation. Lord, please, we need your help. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your comfort. We need your strength. We need your healing. We need whatever it is that we need. But then you finish again with thanksgiving. But the thanksgiving that you finish with is, but Father, I know that you're good. And I know that you have a plan, and I know that your plan will work to your glory and my good. And I'm trusting you to see us through this, because I know that you are good. Our contentment resides in Jesus. Our mind has to be controlled to understand that this is where our contentment comes from. Last two verses, eight and nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I, heard, I had heard this before not too long ago, and then Fred Allen and I were talking on Wednesday, and Fred mentioned this, so I went home and, and tried to Google it up, the exact authorship of the statement it's hard to find, but we think it came from Damon of Athens. It came from the time of Plato, which would have been 450 B.C. to 350 B.C. Plato, this is thousands of years ago, okay? Tell me this statement is not true. This guy says, let me write the songs of a nation. I care not who writes its laws. Let me write the songs of the nation. I care not who writes these laws. It is incomprehensible to me how ignorant 
some of our smartest people are. Our music lyrics sing of women as objects of pleasure and desire. They speak only of their looks and their physical attributes in the most degrading and base ways. Our movies parade women around with little to no clothing on. It becomes a topic of discussion. Pops up on my Twitter feed. I don't know, and, and I, I probably will offend. I know I've probably offended people in first service. I might be offending some of y'all too. Sorry, don't mean to. It's what it is. Game of Thrones. I know nothing about it. I hadn't watched it. Don't know nothing. Period. All I know is on my Twitter feed, pops up, one of these promoted kind of bad things, pops up on my, on my Twitter feed, and it talks about one of the characters' nude scene and how she felt about her nude scene. And then another one pops up and talks about sex scene. I don't know if it was hers or somebody else's that's popping up on my news feed. And I, like I said, I don't know anything about Game of Thrones. I am not innocent in this. I went through my artsy period. I've got images burned into my brain that will never go out. But there's the problem. You see, what we think matters. And it matters more than we think. What we think matters. And it matters more than we think. What we feed into our brain sticks in our brain, and it matters more than you can possibly think. If you wonder why there is a Me Too movement, look no further than our music and our entertainment. You cannot fill your mind with pornography and expect contentment to flow in your heart. It will not work. Let me tell you why. Porn brings comparison to real life. And what did we say comparison is? Comparison is the enemy of contentment. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. There is no contentment there. You compare that to what real life is and the next thing you know, you're uncontent. There's no peace. And you can swear to me that you can listen to anything and you can watch anything and you can read anything and you can have peace and I will never believe you. I will believe that you are lying to yourself. That's exactly what I'll be believing. Paul says in order to be content, in order to be happy, in order to have peace that passes all understanding, to have your relationships work, to get rid of anxiety, to have God's peace so deep that you'll wonder how you could ever feel any better than the way you feel this minute. He says to do that, you've got to take control of your thoughts. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Put those things into your mind. And then he says in literal word order, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, he puts that as a conditional, and I believe it is a conditional. I agree with him totally, it's a conditional. He says, think on these things, do these things that you've seen me do, you've heard, you've learned, you've received, do those and the God of peace will be with you. But if you don't do those things, then the God of peace isn't going to be there with you because no matter how much we say, no matter how much we say that God forgives us and God loves us and once saved, always saved, if you're leaving like, living like a heathen, God's not going to give you peace and contentment. It will not work. He says, control your mind. This isn't going to be easy. 
This isn't going to be easy at all. Every commercial, if you're watching the commercials on television lately, I'm noticing more and more little, we won't go into the depth of it, but little subliminal messages to try to make certain things normal to us. You are bombarded by it. We are bombarded by it all the time. This isn't going to be easy. But it is something that's critical. And you might say to yourself, well, I can't do that. I've, I am just a worrywart. That's just who I am. I'm always going to be that way. I can't change. I'm not sure that's 100% true. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 32, and the prophet's spirits are, subject, are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Very simply, he says this, you, you can control yourself. You can control yourself. Now, God knows that there are people who have disorders that can't. He knows who they are. He, he, he loves them and he wants to help them. There are a few people who can't, but the majority of us, we can control ourselves. We can make good choices. We can make sure that we think on the good things. We can make sure that we let go of the other stuff. We can turn the television off. We can turn the channel. We can read the right books. We can read good stuff. We can do these things. It might take a lot of time and prayer and practice, but it's possible. One last thing. I heard somebody say something this week that absolutely stopped me cold. We have to quit thinking in terms of right and wrong. We need to quit thinking in terms of I will do this or I won't do this with that mindset that God will forgive me, it'll be okay, he won't mind if I do this once. Mm. We need to think in terms of, since we are children of God and followers of Christ, we need to think in terms of am I going to follow him or am I not? I'm telling you right now, that makes a big difference. Because see, if it's right and wrong and I can be forgiven, then I can, do the, I, I, I can do the wrong thing, I'll get away with it, and, and he'll cover it, and it's okay. You know, he's, he's like that giant granddaddy that you just sit in his lap, and, and he says, it's all fine, it's okay, you're good, you're good, you're good, don't worry about it. I'll talk to your mom and daddy, and, and we'll pay for the crumpled fender, it'll be okay, baby, don't worry about it. No, no, no. He, he is there, and he says... Follow me. Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself. Die to your desires and your plans and follow me wherever I take you and trust me that it will be good. That's what he says. So when we're confronted with stuff, that, that's, that's the question. Am I going to follow him or am I not? Am I going to follow him or am I not? We can be content. We can control our thinking. If we follow him, that we can do. Now let's pray. Father, I thank you for very practical teaching that you give us. I thank you, Lord, that you that you've given us scripture that talks about your majesty and your power and your glory and your mercy and your grace and your kindness and your forgiveness. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us scripture that says, now this is, these are the things to do. This is how to do it. And this scripture very plainly tells us how to do it. And Father, I pray as we, as we go away tonight, today, we, don't, we just, don't just blow it off but that it haunts us, that it stays in the back of our mind. 
Lord, the one thing I pray for the congregation to understand is what you have been putting in front of me over and over and over again, that you are good, that you have a plan for our lives, that that plan will bring you glory and will be good for us. And one day through all of that, we're going to meet you face to face and we're going to live in a place that is unbelievable. That at that time, Lord, in a very short period of time, you're going to wipe away every tear and death will be gone and grief will be gone and there'll be no more pain. And we will be in a place, Lord, of contentment and joy to spend eternity learning about you and all that you have done. Father, let that be appealing to us. Let that be more appealing to us than a new Jaguar, more appealing than a trip across the country, more appealing than our kids going to college to the best college, more appealing than a home run, more appealing than anything. Help us, Lord, to follow you as closely as possible, counting on you to be the power that makes us make the right choices and do the right things. Please, Father, we need you. This is a hard world that we live in right now. It is a painful place to be. And uh, lots of pitfalls, very subtle the evil, the adversary is very subtle right now. Help us, Father, because we want to be content in you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those of us that have, have never made a decision, you've never made that true commitment. I want you to think hard. You, you may have walked an aisle at some point in your life and, and come forward, and, but did you make a commitment to follow Christ? That's what he's looking for, is abandonment of yourself, surrendering yourself to him. You'll follow him wherever, you, wherever he leads. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's what he's saying. You know you need him. You wouldn't be here if he hadn't led you to this place. You know that you need him. And I ask you this morning, if you know that and you feel his spirit moving, come forward and talk to me this morning. If you want to join the church, you can come forward. We need to pray. And in just a few minutes after we sing, we're going to have just a minute of prayer at the end about things that have happened in our community this week. But right now you can pray as well. So if you would, let's stand together and sing.